I don't know how you feel about uh, scavenger hunts. Do you like scavenger hunts? Treasure hunts? Yeah, I'm not alone. I love a good scavenger hunt. I've been a part of a number of scavenger hunts uh, that happen in a variety of capacities. Oh yeah, I completely forgot to dismiss the kids. Fortunately, the kids are just on top of it anyway. They don't really care if I dismiss them or not. They just go. <laughs> but if you haven't left yet and you're a kid up to fourth grade, uh, please feel free to be dismissed now to Children's Church. Sorry about that. But scavenger hunts, uh, I love. Uh, you know, finding clues and sometimes you have to puzzle them out, right? I mean, that's kind of part of the fun. And if a scavenger hunt, a treasure hunt like that is, is done really well, what's, what's great is that when you figure out a clue and you're, you're able to go to the next step of this scavenger hunt, you just feel like a genius, don't you? I mean, that's so great. And, and it's, you know, clearly the designer of the game, whoever has put this together, has designed it so that you would find the answer. And yet there's something about it, and I think this is part of what makes these so popular, that when we discover the answer, we just feel like we're the smartest person in the world, you know, or at least the smartest person in the room. We love these things. Uh, so much so that, that we have a lot of fiction even about, you know, treasure hunts, uh, literature, films, all sorts of things about sort of large, grand scavenger hunts where we've got to figure out clues and find our way to the prize at the end. Uh, you know that I enjoy uh, games. Uh, and, and there are these things, uh, escape rooms have become real popular now. You know, where you get locked into a room and you got to find your way out right? It, it's, it's a form of scavenger hunt. You're trying to find within this room clues. And if you can't make it to a, a scavenger hunt uh, or, or an escape room, uh, there are even games you can play at home that sort of, you know, emulate an escape room. You can get out a, a board or a little game. Some of them are just decks of cards that you use to play these sort of escape rooms. But they all have to do with finding these clues that are pointing you in a direction, and we really love this stuff. Aren't they fun? Is there anybody here who really dislikes scavenger hunts? Not a one. Yeah, I thought there might be at least one. Uh, oh, there is one. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I hope the rest of this still works for you. <laughs> but as we talk about uh, scavenger hunts and being pointed to a, a thing, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke this morning. We've been studying James together, but we're going to take a, 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 a sort of a break uh, beginning today because this is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, sometimes that happens uh, this last Sunday in November. We just had Thanksgiving a couple days ago, but now this is the first Sunday of our Christmas celebration. So Merry Christmas to you. It's so good uh, to be able to celebrate this together as a church family. And we want to take a look, as we often do and a variety of different things having to do with this Christmas story. And I want to start this morning in Luke chapter 1. As we talk about clues, about pointers, about so many of these prophets that talked about the coming of the Messiah... And one of my favorites is in Luke chapter 1, uh, and I'm going to start in verse 67. And, and many of you will remember, but if you don't, I'll just give you sort of a little bit of the background. This has to do with, with the actual birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is sort of related, part of the same family 
uh, in Jesus, but John the Baptist was born first. It had been promised that he was going to come. And his dad, Zechariah, had been uh, struck, unable to speak for some time until Zechariah, or until John, rather, was born. And they named him John. And then verse 67 of Luke 1 says this, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, (laughs) he prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I just want to pause there for a minute. Keep in mind, this is before the actual birth of Jesus. But already, Zechariah, as John the Baptist's dad, is, is sort of looking forward. And we've been told, he's prophesying. The Holy Spirit has come on him, and he's sort of talking about things that he doesn't even personally maybe have knowledge of. This is supernatural revelation on the part of God to Zechariah, and he is just sort of exclaiming this business. And he's already thanking God for this thing that hasn't even quite happened yet, this visitation, this advent. Isn't this beautiful? I love this so much. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, and now he's speaking about John, his child. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you wish you were that poetic? (laughs) It's such a beautiful exclamation of God's grace, a proclamation of this visitation and this outpouring of thanksgiving. But again, we're told right from the outset there that he prophesied. You know, again, I, I think in large part, the Lord is, is giving him information in a supernatural way that he didn't, ju- it wasn't that Zachariah was just a really sharp tack. He's, he's being given this information that term to prophesy is to act as a, a mouthpiece for God, to be his messenger. And so he proclaims this brilliant message. And he talks about a lot of the elements of Messiah. But you'll notice that one of the things that he mentions there is that this was promised to our fathers. Verse 70 says, He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And the reality is that, that this proclamation had been going on for a very long time. When he talks about these prophets of old, for centuries here, 
God has been promising this arrival, this thing, this event that would be the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ that would come to save his people. He's been talking about it for a long time. But I love as we go back some of the specificity even with which he talks about a lot of these things. I'm going to go to a few passages this morning. But if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 9. And if you don't want to turn in your Bible with me, it's okay, I'll read it to you. (laughs) You're all right. But turn or swipe or tap or whatever to Daniel chapter 9. This is a a fascinating passage which the prophet Daniel talks about this thing known as the 70 weeks. That's a great bit. And and of course, in another series and another lesson, we can really drill down into this together because there's a lot here. But in particular, one of the things he says is in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay, stop. What he's referring to there is is when the Israelites, the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered, they were carried away. The southern kingdom of Judah persisted for a while. But then the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered. Northern kingdom by the Assyrians, southern kingdom by the Babylonians, they carried them away. And Israel was basically no more. They'd been wiped out, they'd all been taken away. But then when the Medo-Persians took over, they said, okay, Jews, if you would like to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild that city and rebuild your temple, it's okay with us. We'll even help you out. And this is what he's talking about, this decree. Now, as Daniel is writing this, it hasn't happened yet. But he says, from, the, from the, this, this decree, from the going out of this word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. That term anointed one is, is what we use when we say Messiah. It's what we talk about when we say Messiah. So between those times, from this decree, which happened, to the coming of the anointed one, he says, there shall be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Now, those weeks, you you can sort of put in quotes, because each of those weeks is a period of seven years. So there's going to be a seven-year, or or, excuse me, seven seven years, and then 62 seven years, and that will be the coming then of the anointed one. In other words, what Daniel writes about is the actual time, pretty close to pinpointed, of when the coming of this anointed one would be. He says, here's when it will happen. Daniel was written some 500 years before. Uh, You know, the the birth of Christ, and and I think we all understand the, the calendar that we currently use when it was set up, there were some errors made. So Christ's actual birth is probably in the neighborhood of between four and six BC, yeah? This that Daniel writes is in the neighborhood of 530 BC. So well over 500 years in advance, Daniel is saying, well, here's even when it's going to happen. Isn't that amazing? It's something else. It's so amazing. In a part of his prophecies, Daniel 
talks about all sorts of things, all sorts of global, huge occurrences, world empires that will come and go. And it's so spot on that critics of the Bible will say, this, this had to have been written later on. I mean, nobody could have gotten all this right. Well, yeah, nobody except God. <laughs> I mean, God gave it to Daniel. Daniel didn't, you know, guess. God told Daniel, Daniel, this is what's going to happen. And Daniel said, okay, and he wrote it down. Of course it's spot on, right? But there's also this bit about when it would actually happen. Turn to Isaiah. Oh, excuse me, turn to Micah first. Let's go to Micah first. Micah chapter 5. This, especially during this Christmas season, will be a little bit more familiar, I know, to some of you. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. <laughs> from you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. This, this note, even within the prophecy, that Bethlehem is just this tiny little place, this insignificant little place, not important at all. I mean, if you were going to choose a place from within the tribal allotment of Judah, a really grand place, Bethlehem wouldn't tend to be it. It's a little place. And even as the prophet speaks this, it's small. It's insignificant. But he says, out of you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. This one who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Again, this prophecy of this Messiah coming. Now, this one was written even earlier. This is, and again, some of these are hard to pin down. And Micah's uh, career spanned a period of time. But this falls somewhere in the range of, of 700 to 750 B.C., in fact, you know, I, I really should say 750 to 700 BC because, you know, we're counting backwards before. Are, are you with me? <laughs> but you understand? So somewhere in that span of time, now we're arguably more than 700 years before. And Micah says, this is where this will happen. This is the place. Isn't that great? These clues these breadcrumbs. Turn back to Isaiah. And Isaiah comes earlier, and some of you might even be thinking, why didn't you start in Isaiah? Well, I'm sort of working backwards. You know, we started with Zechariah, who's very shortly before Jesus is born when he makes his prophecy. But now we're kind of working backwards. We've gone, you know, some 500 years before and then some 700 years before. Isaiah is honestly pretty similar, but probably, you know, a little bit older. But think 750 to 740 B.C., probably around the time that this was written. Isaiah chapter 7. This passage, so very well known by us. 
when Isaiah writes this sign of Emmanuel, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isn't that a beautiful verse? And this one's really fascinating because, frankly, this has sort of a dual fulfillment, as, as many of prophecies in the Bible do. Because in its context, this was to be a sign for the king to whom uh, Isaiah was prophesying at the time. But there's also this alternate, you know, this, this ultimate fulfillment that comes later on. And this is understood by every scholar who has studied this to be a, one of these messianic prophecies. And now we get this bit, this pretty specific bit, that he'll be born of a virgin. This really crazy, unbelievable, frankly, miraculous occurrence. This is why it was to be a sign to the king to whom Isaiah is prophesying, but this is how it's going to be a sign later on about the anointed one, about the Messiah. And again, 740 BC, 750 BC perhaps, hundreds of years before Isaiah is talking about this. Turn maybe just a, a page, depending on how large your type is, to Isaiah chapter 9. Again, a passage that you know so well, starting in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If this is reminding you of any passages of music, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> And then he says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, now we get this detail that he'll be the heir to David's throne. This incidentally is really, really important because one of the promises that God made to King David was that his throne would sort of never end, that there would always be one of his descendants sitting on the throne of Israel. And it's interesting because for a time, of course, Israel was conquered, that, that royal lineage was wiped out. I mean, you look today, it doesn't really seem like there's a king of Israel, and yet Part of what we see now looking back is that what God said is that, that one who will reign on David's throne forevermore, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus. He reigns on that throne from the line of David in perpetuity forever and ever. Hallelujah. And again, he's talking about this, about this connection between Messiah and David the Messiah would be the one to sit on David's throne some 750 years before. But I always think it's kind of fun to go all the way back to Genesis. 
Genesis chapter 49. First book of the Bible, this one's easy to find. Genesis 49. And in this context, Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. It's kind of where the place gets its name, you know. The people get their name. He's close to his death, and he has brought in his sons, who are the heads of what will be the tribes of Israel. And he's blessing his sons. But so much of this, again, is very prophetic. Because Jacob is taking wild guesses, because he's saying things that he hopes will come to pass. No, it's because God is in part speaking through Jacob as he blesses his sons here. But in verse 9, he says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. And then verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Here, Jacob points out that the Messiah, and again, he's talking about this eternal rulership here and all the peoples of all the earth worshiping and paying tribute to this Messiah. And he says he's gonna come from Judah's line. A lion from the tribe of Judah, right? We know that phrase. And Jacob here is talking about this. When is this? I mean, it's hard, again, the further we go back to really pin down, but we're talking in the neighborhood of 1,800 years or earlier. When was this actually written for us and collected into the book of Genesis? A little bit more difficult to tell. But this speaking, at least, this prophecy is from some 1,800 years before Christ was born. And even then, you've got these details. What tribe he's going to come from. That he'll be the heir to David's throne. That he's going to be born of a virgin, miraculously. The place where he'll be born, in Bethlehem the rough time when he'll be born in relation to the decree of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem up to the time when Zechariah prophesies about this coming Messiah. And in fact, we can go back even further in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 This is in the context of that original sin, that fall, when Adam and Eve, very first sin, willfully disobey their God. But in the process of that, God says, Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And here he's speaking to the serpent, the serpent who tempted Eve. And God doesn't just let Eve and let Adam off the hook. We understand that. But he now has sort of this curse, this message for the serpent. 
He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says something interesting. He, an individual, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is often referred to as the Proto-Evangelion, the first mention of the evangel, the good news, way back here at the very beginning. See, already God is pointing. He's saying, listen, serpent, you might strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. (laughs) I got news for you. There's one coming, her seed, her offspring, generations out, but her seed will finish you. You are going to injure him, but he will finish you. And then in the years to come, the decades to come, the centuries to come, kind of the millennia to come, God is telling his people, he is speaking through the prophets. This is where, this is when, this is the character of. And of course, there are so many other prophecies that have to do with, with Jesus' ministry sort of after his birth. I mean, the bulk of them talk about his ministry, his, his life after he becomes 30 years old and he enters the public eye and public ministry. But those nuggets of this actual advent, of this arrival, they're all there. They've been there. Now, What I love about this is a number of things. But I think part of it is we frequently remind ourselves of this and we point to this and we just kind of marvel, don't we? Again, hundreds of years before, as far back as 1,800 years before this birth, it's being talked about. But I think that if all we do with that is we make it sort of this left-brained activity and say, see, this is proof that God was really speaking to those prophets, or this is proof that this stuff is true, or even just, isn't that amazing? Now, is it amazing? Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty great. I don't want to take that away. But if all we take from this is how amazing it is that these things really got nailed up to 1,800 years ahead of time, I think we might be missing something. And that's this. I think all of this tells us a lot about the character of our God. We talked about scavenger hunts escape rooms, treasure hunts, all those sorts of things. And many of you, like me, have participated in those. How many of you have created those? Maybe for a kid, one of your children, to hide a, a present for them, you know? You, you set up this, this little game, or, or if you've worked with youth in the church, you know, and you set up a, a scavenger hunt for the youth group, and it's real fun. You ever participated in one of those in the, the setting it up? Yeah, I see many of you saying yes. Can I ask you a question? When you do that, isn't it your hope that they're going to find the prize at the end? 
right? Now, we want there maybe to be some challenge to it, some fun, some games that are involved. You want everybody to really enjoy the experience. But when you set a scavenger hunt up, you're not thinking to yourself, I sure hope they don't find the gift that I've purchased for them. I hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) Why? Because you can't wait. You can't wait until they find it. Isn't that true? And I love that God, in sprinkling these breadcrumbs throughout history, and you'll notice in these cases, I mean, it's all pretty explicitly stated. When he says the Messiah is going to come to this little town of Bethlehem, there's no real puzzle that we have to figure out. It's just right there. Why? Because as it turns out, we have a God who didn't just send our rescue, he delighted in sending our rescue. Do you understand? This pleased him to tell his children, I want you to be on the lookout. Here are some signs. Here are some breadcrumbs. I'm going to tell you the place. I'm going to give you some details about who this individual is. I'm going to tell you when to be on the lookout for this. Which is why, if you want to quickly turn back to Luke, after Jesus is born, and his parents present him at the temple in chapter 2, When Simeon comes into the temple and he sees this child, and it says in Luke 2, verse 27, uh, excuse me, I'm going to back up to verse 25. There was this man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. And look at this statement He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And it came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I love that phrase I already said that he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, let's be honest. There were many 
by this point. In fact, we often talk about the, the silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are some 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament where God is relatively silent. He doesn't speak through his prophets. He's been kind of quiet. And by that time, it seems clear that many have stopped looking. They've stopped looking at these clues and anticipating them. Many, but not all. And we see here that Simeon was someone who had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for this rescue. Remembering these messages. And then, of course, God says, Simeon, let me tell you something. You won't die until you see it. And here he is. Because we have a God who delighted to give us this gift. This is your God. He wants you to find this gift. He wants you to have this gift, to celebrate this gift, to enjoy this gift. And I don't know where you are today. It's possible that you're here and again, we've got a lot of us here in person. We've got a lot of us that are joining online this morning. But it's possible that you're here and you still haven't received this gift. I want you to hear, it's not a mystery. It's not a big secret that you need to puzzle through and try and figure out. The reality is you have a God who desperately wants you to find this gift. He's been delighted to give it to you and to sprinkle these breadcrumbs all along the way so that we, even today, would see this gift as the culmination of all of God's promises of his love and his desire to save and rescue us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, it sounded a little sleepy the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's all that tryptophan still, isn't it? This is our God, see. Not a stingy God. But a generous God who even has delight. And I don't want to be guilty of reading something into Scripture that isn't maybe explicitly there, but I just wonder if God wasn't just a little gleeful just watching people find this gift. (laughs) Wait until you see what I've prepared. This is it. Angels gather around. This is it. Watch this, you know. Just the way you or I would when we share something like this with someone we love. We're delighted about the fact that they found it. We have a God of love who delights to give this gift to the world. And if you have never received it, I want this to be your day. I invite you to receive this gift of Jesus Christ. And if you're here with us, as is perhaps more likely the case, and you have received this gift, it's possible you still today are in this place of not being sure that God has delighted to give you this thing. It's so easy 
whether we've put our faith in Jesus Christ or not, to slip into this weird mode of thinking of God, of someone who's sort of grumpy, who's withholding, who's um, angry at us most of the time. And the reality is what we see is a God who has delighted to set this up and to make these signposts along the way to the point where we now get this beautiful gift of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ himself, the consolation of Israel, the salvation for the entire world, that this is it. And so no matter where you are today in your relationship with Jesus, I invite you to remember that you have a heavenly Father who loves you and who wants you to see this. He wants you to find this. He wants you to get to the end of this wonderful treasure hunt and say, we did it, we found Jesus. Hallelujah. That is who we are here about, is Jesus Christ, who came as a human in this advent for our rescue, the greatest gift that you have ever, ever received from a God who is more generous than you have ever understood, who loves you more profoundly than you will ever be able to comprehend, and says, now that I've given you these clues, here he is, Jesus, our salvation. We pray with me? Our Father God, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, your power, your sovereignty. But Father, we don't want to only see in these messages that you spoke through your prophets just the accuracy of them. We don't want to simply be impressed about how great it is that they called these facts out so long before they happened. God, we want to see you as our Father who gave these messages to your people so that they would have hope, so that they would see you as a loving, heavenly Father whose desire was not that we stayed lost, but whose desire was that we'd be rescued, that we would receive this gift in Jesus. That God, every evidence points to the fact that you have delighted in this treasure hunt and you have not made this something we need to puzzle through. You've made it pretty plain and pretty obvious because as it turns out, you want us to find the treasure that is Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. Father, give us hope. Bless those today that are struggling with a notion of an angry God, a stingy God, a distant God. Help them to see you as a God who has desired our salvation and has set up almost a scavenger hunt, but a really, really easy one that we would find the answer. 
And certainly, God, for those that are with us today that have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, we pray that this would be the day that they would just in simple faith believe that Jesus is who you say he is. God, our rescue, the one who has saved us all, and to trust him and his work. And for all of us, God, infuse us with a hope and understanding that as we celebrate this season, that we would just marvel at a God who gave us this gift and then pointed to it for centuries to make sure that we would find it. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.